my name is Aditya Prakash, and you're listening to A Search for Identity and Beauty, an isolation podcast. During one summer visit to Chennai, India, back in 1999, when I was 11 years old, and I'd, I'd visit Chennai during my summer vacation from school for my intensive Carnatic training. My teacher at the time, Suganda Kalamegam, took me to this person's house. His name was Mr. Jaga. Now, he was a very knowledgeable Carnatic music aficionado, or Rasika, as they're called. And he had an amazing collection of cassette recordings from old Carnatic concerts of the legendary artists. So Suganda Auntie, as I used to call her, and I'm sure you all by now know that in Indian culture, we call anyone that's elder or senior to us, auntie or uncle. But she was the teacher who instilled this obsession with collecting and listening to old concert cassettes as a learning tool. So she invited me to meet Mr. Jaga to have a listen to his collection. That day, I went to his house and there was another person there that I got a quick glance of before he popped into another room and closed the door. He was a young, handsome-looking guy. As my teacher, Sukhananti, was in conversation with Mr. Jaga, I kind of dazed off and started strolling around the house, looking at pictures and artifacts. But then my attention moved to this incredibly, incredibly beautiful voice that was humming from somewhere in the house. I could hear it behind a closed door. I tuned out all the chit-chatter and locked in on that one voice. I hadn't heard a voice like that in the flesh. The handsome man that I saw earlier came out of the room. It was his voice. He continued humming as if nobody else existed, pacing around the house. He actually had a, a really strangely loud voice, so his humming wasn't really discreet, but he didn't seem to care. I shyly went back to Sigananti, who was still talking to Mr. Jaga, and I asked her in a soft whisper, who is that person over there? He was lost in his own world, but my teacher snapped him out and called to him as if he were a little boy. Hey, Krishna, my student wants to meet you. Come. I was so embarrassed. He stopped what he was doing. He smiled and said, hey, nice to meet you. We made some small talk and, and then I left. In the car on the way back, I asked Sugandanti who he is. And she said his name is T.M. Krishna. And he's an excellent young singer who is making waves in the scene now. That moment, that summer of 1999, that day was day one of my obsession with this incredible artist, T.M. Krishna, who now, 24 years later, is my music mentor. ஒரு 
I'm just singing. Okay. To be practical, you have to sing. Yeah. Filter, just forget about it. Okay. Now, Krishna Anna, as I call him, Anna means elder brother. So Krishna Anna has been a huge guide and mentor since the year 2016 in my musical journey, and especially in the creation of isolation. My own personal relationship to Krishna Anna's music has been a journey in itself, going from obsession, emulation, at one point dislike and doubt, but now awe and wonderment. But no matter what, his music hits me at my core. It, it makes me feel rather than think. And I'd say this is rare in today's music. And I'm so, so happy to be having him on this episode. Thank you for speaking with me, Krishna Anna. Pleasure, Aditya. So I wanted to discuss with you this idea of beauty because redefining my idea of beauty has been one of the main areas of exploration on this album, Isolation. But I wanted to ask you first, in three words, how would you define beauty? Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, maybe a sentence, not three words, but I think beauty is being able to see yourself for what you are. Wow. But you must have arrived here at this definition of beauty, right? Meaning? Meaning? Like T.M. Krishna, 15, 20 years ago, would he have the same definition of beauty? Oh, no. At that point, I would have said probably that beauty to me is that which, um, that which I find beautiful. Yes. So what is beautiful then? Well, that's where we get into problems, right? What is beautiful? Uh, we know uh, how our brain is networked. Uh, we also know how we create, we have cognition of things and we have built on that as opinions and perspectives and perceptions. So beauty often is a reiteration of a habit mm. and an extension of a habit. By extension, I mean there is some correlative uh, connection between a ha the habit that you are used to and something that you're seeing. So either it's literally that or it's an extension of that. So, for example, if you listen to melodies or listen to a certain kind of rhythm patterns that you're used to from childhood, and then you hear say something from a different culture, it may not be exactly that, but you're, you extrapolate what you've learned from here okay. into that and you find beauty. You can also find ugliness, but you will, the way you will find beauty in it is by extrapolating something you already know and saying, oh, that's redesigned in this manner and it's beautiful, or it's, a, it's an interesting interpretation, or etc., etc. But it means that it, in some way when we're saying something is beautiful, normally, in normal parlance, yeah. we are somehow saying that it gives us pleasure. That's what we're saying. Right. So there is a direct correlation between you feeling better, or more comfortable, and beauty, or simply put prettiness in some way beauty is perceived as prettiness I realized my idea of beauty was a bit one-sided when I thought of beauty it was definitely about a feeling but when it translated into sound it hit me that I equated beauty with a sort of prettiness that he was talking about it was a comfort a familiarity and it struck me that my view of what is beautiful wasn't growing it was kind of stagnant. And so in this process of expanding my own ideas of beauty, to include not just the pretty, beauty became something much more. And to me, that expanded my sonic approach throughout the album. 
because it is so i'm saying this carefully so manipulated by what you already have experienced right it's many times just consumption right right and and that's what's boxing beauty into prettiness like essentially what social media is doing making beauty something consumptive and in this process it's boxing in what beauty is no no doubt about it for example instagram i mean it's a great way, place to start um uh, it's made the physical aspect yeah of what you are such an important communicative tool but it's not it is not you know we love to use the word diversity diverse but yeah. we know that's not real right. we know what what uh, frames are beautiful what kind of angles are beautiful yeah. um how should a person dress and look on instagram you know what should they post what filters do they use this entire thing is a homogenizing uh, methodology it also about your own physical appearance uh places like instagram definitely create an issue there because they are saying that you need to look a certain way you need to sing a certain way right you need to sing for a certain period or dance in a certain manner so there is in all this there is this idea of prettiness of of so called perceived beauty and beautifulness and and these platforms like every other platform because we are in a way trained that way are places where we homogenize the notion of what is beautiful Mm. and we also make it aspirational we also other people who don't conform for this can conform into something like this we are othering people uh we are making people feel nervous about putting something out you know uh yeah. does this look good enough you know it also means we are manipulating who we are you manipulate your tone you manipulate your sound you you, you know you you pitch correct to the point of ridiculousness right even if right. you say okay some amount of it is amount of it is fine it's a production but you go to a point of sounding plastic and synthetic right? right so there is seriously something disturbing about this entire phenomena that we need to step back and think about perfection is a scary thing Is it even real? Does it even exist? These standards of perfection that we've imposed on ourselves. Is it producing something honest and real? I had to think deeply about that. There's so many times in this album I was just tempted to keep doing things till it sounded to my ear perfect. And After a while I just needed to just go back to the first take where I screwed up because there's an honesty in that and letting go of this idea of perfection the perfect take where I'm perfectly on pitch and perfectly in time I needed to let go of this because that doesn't exist the perfection is in the imperfection I learned So in the context of Carnatic music what role does beauty play like what is beautiful about Carnatic music um what is beautiful about Carnatic music i don't think it's possible to even answer that because a lot of it is also my habit yeah or your habit so what i think is beautiful about Carnatic music at a very surface level could be just a question of conditioning 
So, but the more interesting thing is, say, okay, suppose I don't go there. Is there something that is in the construction of the form, in the way its various elements interact or coexist, participate? Is there something that is beautiful? Now, here when I use the word beautiful, I am not using it in terms of it being pretty. But I'm saying, is there something deeper in the way these communicate with each other yeah. that allows me to reflect upon myself or touches upon a deeper part of me that makes me pause or that does something to that stomach of yours for right. no reason, right? Right. So I think that's an interesting way to look at beauty. It's to say, why have these elements been brought together by the human being? And why do they invoke something in you? Right. You could argue and say even that invoking is culturally specific. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is. But the fact of the matter is that 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 jigsaw puzzle, when it comes together, it can communicate beyond a cultural habit as long as it's just the jigsaw puzzle and not all the paraphernalia built on it. When you say paraphernalia, what exactly do you mean? Many people say, you know, for example, Carnatic music doesn't reach everybody. If you actually see... Is it the music that is not reaching or is it the culture that is not reaching? That's the interesting question. So because when you hear, I hear you sing, sound doesn't just come from your mouth and pop into my head yeah. or through my ears. It's coming through hundred thousands of imageries of what you, that sound represents. Mm. So you sing a song, there is an image of the song, the sound has a cultural resonance, it has my home, yeah. it has my grandmother, it has my teacher, it has concerts I've heard. Etc. 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 I reminisce about the same song sung by somebody else, and then you do something new and say, "I've never heard that before." This entire thing is coming through these layers mm -hmm. of 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 uh, impressions, right. and then I'm saying, "Wow!" Now flip it, and say, right. think of a person who is not connected to Carnatic music, right. who is othered by this culture. Now, what is what are all the layers of impressions through wow. which the sound is coming? So by the time the sound actually reaches the person's ear, it's horrible. Right. So what is horrible? Is it the sound or is it everything that's coming oh, in that's between? Coming. Wow. So my point is, this is the paraphernalia. If we can minimize the paraphernalia, we may never be yeah. able to take it all out. Right. Then maybe, and I believe, that the sound is never the problem. Yeah. Because the sound if the sound represents power if it represents an oppressive way of looking at culture, if it represents a homogenizing fact, uh, habit, yeah. if it represents a condescension towards other forms of beauty, yeah. if it's communicating all this by the time it enters my ear, what will I hear? I will hear hatred. I will hear anger. Hmm. I will hear something that's, you know, that's not for me. So this is what I mean. If I can communicate that coming together of the jigsaw mm. and remove at least a large portion of the paraphernalia, then I don't believe that it needs to be culturally specific or culturally trapped. That's a better way to right, put it. Right. Culturally caught and trapped. Which also means many things. It can't be just about this. Yeah. It also means that the people singing have to be diverse. People yeah. listening have to be diverse. So then this whole question of breaking down the paraphernalia is easier, yeah. right? Because then different kinds of communication start coming. You know, the stories that are narratives that are built around the music then become far more uh, complicated, far more open. Right. That allows for the breaking down the paraphernalia.
Isolation wasn't made to create an album. It was part of a search. It was a part of a journey for me. And that journey was about removing and shedding the paraphernalia that I've put around Carnatic music. It was about finding an honest relationship, a personal relationship to Carnatic music. Krishnan asked me this question, what does Carnatic music mean to you? And I had no answer for that. Nobody's ever asked me that. The very core, fundamental, basic question that we should all ask ourselves with anything that we're doing. And I didn't ask it. After this process of a couple of years of just thinking about this and with conversations with him and other mentors, I came to realize that Carnatic music is nothing besides raga, which is melody, sahitya, which is lyrics, and lyrics don't always need to be linguistic lyrics. And tala, rhythm. That is not culturally bound. That has no paraphernalia. That is something that is so universal. So to me, that open Carnatic music, Carnatic music could be anything. Isolation is Carnatic music, but at the same time, it's not. And that was the exciting space that I wanted to be in. So in Carnatic music, there's, of course, a structure, boundaries we are working within, rules of right and wrong in the sonic palette. But what's the bandwidth we can push that sonic palette? How can we open up that sonic palette in Carnatic music? Well, I think the sonic palette is always opened. It's not like it is not opened. I mean, if you look at, I, I do think that, for example, our, the level to which we sing Gamakas today has definitely increased. Uh, from the past. Yeah. I don't believe we were so intensive, at least in certain styles. Right. Very good. The Gamaka is the quintessential Carnatic sound. It's a complex and nuanced movement. In a nutshell, the Gamaka occupies a fluid, dynamic, and moving position, unlike a fixed position, which when you look at a piano or a keyboard, you see each note is slotted into a fixed position. And so the gamaka is what operates in between those spaces. But the best way to actually understand is to hear it. So I'm going to sing and pay attention to the note ma. Sarima pa Pama, Pama, Padamari, Pama, Sarida, Pama, Pama. So it's to believe that the sonic palette has been constant, uh, of a constant uh, manner or nature, I don't yeah. think is correct. Okay. Now, the difficult question is here, uh, in today's context, when does it cease being Carnatic sound? Now, that's a very tough one to mm, crack. Mm. A very difficult to actually say. All I could say is I don't like the way this is being pushed forward. Okay? But let me put it this way. What will bother me, and this is my perception, and my perspective, what bothers me is when the sonic palette is pushed in order to imitate some other palette. Yes. That's where I have an issue. Right. So for me... The intentionality of pushing the palate is very important, right? right? So if the palate is being pushed 
in order to imitate just another palette because I like that palette or that palette is more popular or that uh, seems to have greater appeal, mm. then I'm like, hmm, I will ask questions. But if I think that the palette is being pushed because there is a, a directionality intention that's happening, then it's interesting to look at. See, again, I don't need to like it or dislike it. Yeah. I mean, that is irrelevant. I'm trying to look at what is the process of this pushing the palette. You know, what is the intention behind it? To me, that's, that amount of seriousness is required. Because often I think we are doing things because we just like so many things, we are influenced by so many things, and therefore we are just saying something. That to me is quite frivolous, you know. That's okay right. at one level. Maybe to begin with, you just do it. But then at some point, you stop and say, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why? That basic question wasn't on my mind till the pandemic lockdown when I was literally forced to reflect and think and not to get into the busy act of doing and making. Why did I feel compelled to use Western musical instruments when I was trying to create something contemporary? Why did I choose ragas that were less Carnatic sounding when I performed to a Western audience? Why was Carnatic music defined by the kacheri or the concert structure that's been in practice for maybe a hundred years? Is there not another form of Carnatic music expression? These are some of the questions that open up the gateways to isolation. I learned the importance of asking why am I doing this? So if I was going to change the sonic appearance of say a raga, I mean, it requires a lot of thought and also it means that it requires an artist to understand the past. An artist just cannot say, I don't care about the past or, or musicology or even sociology. I'm just going to do it from what I know. I think there's something very irresponsible about that. To whatever extent possible, you must look at where you got the sound you're seeing today. Now, without knowing how this sound came into being, with all its problems, yeah. with all the erasures that the sound has done, that's also true understand all that, place it in today's context, and then say, okay, from a, this complex understanding of what I sing, where am I moving? Then I think there is seriousness to this whole conversation. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's just an individual doing what they want. Well, do what you want. I mean, I have not much to say about it. There's no roots in that kind of exploration. There isn't. Yeah. There isn't. And, th and your roots is complicated. It's embedded in all the, what we just spoke about. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, also, if there has been erasures of certain kind of sonic palettes, we have, to, we have to wonder why, from where, and if they're going to come back, who has the agency to bring it back? Absolutely. These are all like very difficult questions, and there are no easy answers to these questions. Right. Right? And, but I think we have to encounter them. And we can't just say, you know, why should we not sing this like this? I mean, that's, that's a silly question to ask. The question is not that. The question is, where are you going? That's the question. And that question should not be asked to me. Yeah. You have to ask yourself. So when people say, who said we should only sing something? I mean, that's, uh, that's not even a question, actually. Nobody said it, but that's, that's a silly question. Right. The point is, where are you moving? Where has this sound come from? How have you internalized this sound? Yeah. And what is, when you're moving in this direction, what is happening to the identity that you're moving? And... Uh, is that opening another expanse? If so, in what manner? How is it talking with the past? How is it talking to the future? This you have to spend time with. So I've been hearing Krishna Anna say all these things for years. 
I mean, I've been his student since 2016. I've watched his talks. And the real simple thing that allowed all, all of the information I learned to actually synthesize and catalyze a change was just time. Time is a luxury. It's a privilege. And during the pandemic, I was lucky that I had time. That time is what allowed isolation, my album, to happen. When the world moves back into busyness now, my real challenge is to keep finding that time to just sit and be bored, to sit and reflect, to sit and think without doing anything else. So when you were giving me feedback for one of my songs, Isolation, one of the notes you gave me was make it more messy, make it, make it more distorted. And I've also heard you say in a talk that you, um, that you now never do anything without a bit of messiness in it. So, so what do you mean by that? What is messiness to you? I think um, a moment of discomfort is messiness, uh, which is out of what you're used to. Um, when Within Carnatic music itself, whatever that is, there are different ways you can do it. But if you're going to move its palette, then there are even many more ways you can do it, mm. right? Because then you're also widening its, 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 uh, its expanse. And then you, you can create... By messiness, I mean, I mean some kind of distortion to the way we are receiving it. Because one of the things, like I said in the beginning, is we're just receiving comfort. Yeah. Right? At some point, I think that has to be challenged. Because if you're just receiving comfort, what are you doing? We're staying the same. We're not. Yeah, you're just saying I'm very happy changing. who I am. You are very happy who you are. Both yeah. of us share this music. We are happy with this music. Right. Glad to have met you. Right. No, that's not the job of art. So I think that's what I mean. A moment of discomfort. It could be sound. It could be physical appearance. It could be uh, a color. It could be anything. It could be also just silence out of the blue, mm. just dropping. Any kind of sonic challenging of the, of the normative is for me discomfort and messiness. Is there a danger that even those distortions can become formulaic? Or, or people just do them for the sake of doing it? Again, it's about intention. There's a conscious uh, effort to do something. When you're creating a, a distortion, you're actually very consciously doing this. See this, you know, things don't, you know, this thing that just happens accidentally. Nothing happens accidentally. For that accident to happen, you've done a lot of things. Yeah. Right? So here there's intention to create it. Now, for example, if I'm singing and I just have, go off key, because I, I just lost a, lost a note. That's not what we're talking about here. We are saying, I may decide that I want to move this off key somewhere. That's what we're talking about. So there's an intention to move you in that direction. Right, right. Do you think that there's a space for intentionally moving away from pitch and carnatic music? Because we're taught that singing off key or upaswaram is, is wrong. It's like the biggest crime you could commit. Is there a space for it though? 
So that's an interesting because if you look at this, the whole idea of singing in pitch varies from form to form. Yeah. Singing in pitch in Carnatic music is not singing pitch in Hindustani. It's not singing pitch in Makham. It's not singing pitch in Western opera. Mm-hmm. Pitch means so many different things. It's not singing in pitch in Ghana music. It is not singing in pitch in Kut. So what is it? Even that is such a diverse idea. Right. Right. So the question is this: Is there room for within the Carnatic sound, the idea of moving away from locational identification? Mm-hmm. I think there is, but we need to think about this carefully and say, okay, how much are we like? extending it right. why are we extending it right and what does it do to the raga that's also something that needs to be thought about because raga is a foundational component of what the music is we can't this is raga music let's first see the carnatic music is raga music so then what are the aspects are uh, the, que- the multiple questions should you then think of a raga that can allow for this kind of a distortion rather than use a raga that's already there these are all questions that need to be probed um in terms of, like when you mentioned that there's a different pitch for every style like Carnatic has a pitch Hindustani has a pitch that makes me think of the recording industry because now we have one pitch which is 440 auto tune everything is going to one singular pitch that everyone has to identify as is that dangerous oh it is i think it is see this making music clean is taking making it soulless right because it's correct i think one of the things technology is doing is making us all correct mm but if you actually see when the most emotive aspects of music happen is when there's there's a little curvature there mm-hmm. when everything is not like perfect you know perfection the way we understand it is the most overplayed word i think perfection <laughs> is a point of emotionlessness my perfection here i mean getting it correctly there look at us we are all emotional species yeah we are not like balanced creatures who are just on or meditating always or choosing between being pleasant and kind and angry we just float between these possibilities right yeah i'm talking to you like this 2 minutes later we'll you'll be in an altercation might happen now yeah might happen but <clears throat> the point is that it's not like it's it, there's something that flows from here that's yeah. what beyond that's what music is yeah. that's what painting is right. that's what dance is that there is this vagueness to it and i think that we are now completely taking that out from the way we're making music right you know you listen to all the great musicians they are not singing in perfect pitch yeah if if there's anything called perfect pitch at all we need to have these things that temper our use of technology that's the only way you know we can't just say no i'm not going to use technology at all i'm going to sit in a forest and only do analog live concerts i mean like come on it's not let's be very clear that's not happening yeah. but when we are doing these productions i think if we this i think there is something to me this is ethical there's something ethical about it mm-hmm. because we have to remain real people yeah we have to remain flawed the other thing is i think in a some way what we are doing today is also a search for this very very ugly notion of purity mm. because we seeking one kind of purity that we don't want anything to be just off a little bit because something it does it disturbs purity right i think we have to think about that because is this also another homogenizing way of making listening to music yes yeah you know is this also way by we're saying we don't want that the confusions that happen in making art we don't want those right um so and how much is this going to live the i mean affect the way we perform live 
it's already is not that it is not yeah. it already is but how much is going it going to affect that right you know uh, there are many serious ethical con, you know issues that we need to ponder over art is there to challenge our self-centered ego-filled existence either it is your own mm-hmm. or it is people who are imposing it on you it could be either yeah. depending on your social uh, context and what kind of art and your degree of marginalization in society right right it changes the, based on that you have content that is created forms that are that are put together etc 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 um i think it is essential if art is not questioning what is it doing i don't know i don't see a point and questioning can be in so many so many ways it can be subtle it can be just in the sound it can be um um in the suggestiveness it can also be direct it can also be on your face it can be very particular so i think when we say questioning and challenging the norm it can happen in a in a wide range of methods and sensory triggers artisan is a sensory trigger and i think if there is no questioning and if there's no if there's no reflection and questioning cannot be there without reflection right then i think art is just a feel good evening i wanted to create art that was reflective of me reflective of change reflective of the inner reckoning that i was going through a tectonic shift there was a lot of ugliness i saw in myself and in the world around me so the music i create should reflect that i found so much beauty in this transformation a beauty in the ugliness and it brought me back to krishna anna's answer on what beauty is beauty is being able to see yourself for what you are i finally understood it now beauty is a self reflection it's what allows us to grow and change as human beings and that is beautiful Thank you for listening. This podcast series was produced by Sushma Soma and myself. And the music you heard today was taken from albums of mine, Isolation, Diaspora Kid, Carnatic Roots, and of course, you heard some of my class recordings with TM Krishna.